It is a travesty that he was not selected as a first ballot Hall of Famer. And it would be a travesty if Melo was not selected as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Welcome back to the Getting Buckets Podcast. I'm Ethan. This is Matt. I'm Jordan. And we're going to come to you today with some more breaking news. Dower Morey has been hired as the Sixers president, which is pretty surprising because he just resigned as the GM of the Rockets. And it was supposedly that he was going to take a break, but I guess not. He got this job offer pretty quickly. And we all know that, you know, Maury is very deep into analytics. But I'm really confused about how he's going to operate with this team because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid really do not fit that analytics mold for those type of players that he likes to have on his team. So I'd really do, I'm very curious about how this fit is going to work out. We know that the Rockets last season finished number one in the whole NBA with 45.3 three-point attempts per game. So... I would assume, and anybody should assume, that he's going to make a lot of moves in this offseason trying to improve this team. And, uh, and a good question is, will he bring Chris Paul to this team? And I personally don't think it's going to happen because they're going to have to trade one of those horrible contracts, either Tobias Harris or Al Horford, and I don't see anybody taking that Al Horford contract. So I'm, I really don't know what's going to happen. I'm kind of curious to see what you guys think. This this Sixers team is so interesting to me even before the Daryl Morey hire and I think just now it becomes a hundred times more interesting just because of the fact that the Sixers aren't really known as a team that shoots a ton of threes. They ranked 22nd in three-point attempts this past year at 31.6 attempts and when you bring in a guy like Daryl Morey who we talked about last, last episode, he is like full-on invested in just shooting high-volume three-pointers, no deep twos, nothing like that. Because the Rockets finished first in the NBA last year with 45.3 attempts, three-point attempts per game. And that obviously had a lot to do with James Harden. But the rest of their team, they were very perimeter-centric. They've been like that for a while. And I'm so interested to see how Daryl Moore constructs this team because you obviously have, like you said, Al Horford and... Tobias Harris, they have those huge contracts. But also you have someone in Ben Simmons who doesn't really shoot three-pointers. We know about his struggles, how he had to go see a sports psychologist recently because he's just so afraid to shoot threes. And I just – I don't know what the future holds for him, what the future holds for Embiid. Like you said, I would love to see Chris Paul brought back here. I know that Daryl Moore wasn't crazy about trading him. That was more of a James Harden and Tillman Fertitta move. And Moore was – not really against it, but he would prefer to keep Chris Paul just because you can see how dangerous he is with OKC. And yeah, I just, I'm so intrigued as to what they do this offseason because I think if you add a couple of pieces around the edges and like you maybe get a Chris Paul, they can be right up there at the top of the East, especially if, if uh, Joel Embiid can stay healthy. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Daryl Morey was scooped up by another team so quickly. He was documented to have a lot of success in Houston. He built a very strong team centered around uh, James Harden and was able to build a new system that in 2018 was able to challenge that 
seemingly unbeatable Warriors team and had them on the ropes 3-2 to two in the Western Conference Finals. In terms of fit with what he was documented doing in Houston and the current makeup of the Philadelphia 76ers, it seems like a bit of a mismatch. But I think that if he makes some moves in the offseason, I can see I can see how it can maybe work, right? So Tobias Harris in the past two years that he's or rather since he's been in Philadelphia, he has shot the first season he was in Philadelphia, he shot thirty three percent from behind the arc and thirty seven percent. So those numbers aren't so good. But interestingly enough, his last year in LA when he was on the Clippers in the 2018-2019 season, he averaged 43% from three-point territory. And the two years before that was 41% and 41%. So he has shown an ability to be a good three-point shooter. We know that Joel Embiid is sometimes a threat to shoot from behind the three. And if he improves upon that this summer, he can be even more of a threat for it. And if they're able to bring in more guys who can shoot, I think that would be a, an, an interesting balance with having a strong center presence with Joel Embiid and Al Horford. And they can also have the same kind of fast-paced style with Ben Simmons leading fast breaks and getting points in transition. I don't think this is going to be so impossible to morph the team in the way that Daryl Morey will will want to. Granted, though, Daryl Morey, he was hired to be the president, though, right? Not the general manager? Yeah, because Elton Brand is the general manager. Right. So, so yeah, because of that, it may not be that he's going to be so hands-on, and it probably won't be a one-season complete change but i can see it more of in the next two three years the sixers will somehow get al horford off the books or do something with her tobias harris contract because he isn't going to be the gm immediately like it, it's still elton brand i don't think there's going to be an insane amount of moves i i just like don't see that happening but if if daryl Morey has any sort of influence in the roster decision making i could see a couple more moves and maybe uh maybe some some coaching changes and stuff like that i mean i i don't i don't know if i agree just because the president of basketball operations like he's coming in right away to win now with this roster because tobias harris like you said he's getting you know, he's getting paid like a number one option he's making 180 million on that deal i think it's a 36 million average salary he's getting paid like a number one player he's 28 years old Joel Embiid's 26, so he's entering his prime. Ben Simmons, I think, turns 25 next season, so he's about to enter his prime as well. Like They're going to have to start making moves soon if they really want to capture something with this core. And I think the biggest issue here is Harris because it seemed like at times this past year, like you said, Matt, he was a great three-point shooter in his days with the Clippers and even early on in Philadelphia. But he kind of looked like he got away from himself a little bit just because he wanted to be like he saw that he's getting paid like a number one so he had this internal pressure to start playing like a number one at times and just wanting to take the shots down the stretch and maybe just getting away from his game a little bit al horford is gonna have to they're gonna have to find a way to get off his contract at some point yeah, yeah al, I think, al horford's a terrible 
contract for that. I, th- for I, sure. I, th- I think it's going to have to be this <clears throat> offseason because he's 34. Like he was obviously a terrible fit next to Joel Embiid, just a terrible fit on the Sixers team. He's still a mm-hmm. good player, so it wouldn't shock me if a team like we're talking about Chris Paul and the Sixers, if Horford's salary went back to OKC just to match we're taking on Chris Paul's forty-three million dollar number. Like Horford can still be a contributor for a young team like OKC, and maybe they could extract some kind of value out of him because it seems like that's what Sam Presti is really good at. I mean, everyone thought he was gonna have to attach first round picks to Chris Paul just to dump him and look what he turned him into now. So I think the biggest thing is getting Horford off and then turning, putting Harris back at the four spot because he clearly can't defend threes. He's not, he's not really like suited for that role. He needs to be at the four next to Embiid and then they can add a Chris Paul and have Ben Simmons go down to the three maybe and keep someone like a Josh Richardson or add another shooter because it seems like that's what Darren Moore is going to want out of this team. Yeah, man, I definitely disagree with you. I, just as Jordan said, that there definitely has to be some change in this team for sure. This team's championship window is closing. That have one more year. If they fail this year and and play really poorly, as I think they will, they are going to get the core is going to get blown up. They hired Doc Rivers, I think, so they could hear a new voice because Brett Brown really underperformed, and. They really have one more chance to me. It looks like if they don't perform this year, either Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons is going to get traded and they're going to start over. So I think that the clock is ticking for the team to perform. I mean, I, I don't know about that just because Maury's never really been a guy who wants to blow things up and rebuild. He's always been trying to stay in contention. We saw that with the Rockets. Like he always tried to keep even those scrappy teams that will make like seven, eight seeds like with Trevor Reza and Ryan Anderson and those kind of guys, like they would just have scrappy dudes, like who could, who they could string, string together wins. But I think they're going to give this thing two years with like a year, maybe two, like you said, I think maybe two years with Simmons and Embiid, just try to build some shooting around them, try to find a way for them to fight, to find the right pieces where you can put them in a situation to win. Yeah. I just want to make the distinction that just because I don't think that they will make a ton of moves in the offseason. That doesn't mean that I don't think that they should. I just think that the roster and the contracts that they have currently just make it too hard. They they really only have like two options. If they want to go and change the roster, they're going to have to go and blow it up. And I don't think that they brought in Doc Rivers. I don't think that they brought in Daryl Morey for this to be like a totally different team before the season starts. I think that they're really going to try and change the makeup of the of the team through internal changes, not through picking up like a million different guys or trading away their nucleus with either one of Joel Embiid or one of Ben Simmons. So I, I think that the Sixers are kind of more or less locked in with what their roster is right now. I mean, the only big change I could really see this this offseason is Horford. Just like I said, getting him. They have more shown a history of not really valuing mid to late first round picks. Like Houston, I don't even think they have a first round pick for the next, like their own for a couple of years. And they don't have many in the next seven or eight years just because they don't really care about those kind of things. Maury didn't really care. So I could see them attaching a couple of picks to Horford just to get off his contract and open up some things for them. Yeah, that's a good point, Jordan. And. Just to move on a little bit, I think that we should look on to next season, and it's been reported that the NBA is pushing for a December 22nd start. 
So December 1st would be the training camp. It would be a 72-game season, and that would be because we know that the NBA wants to secure those TV deals so they could earn as much money as they can, which is part of the reason why they had those bubble games. Several star players, however, want to start on Martin Luther King Day and for free agency to start on December 1st. Because as it is right now, free agency is projected to be around November 19th or November 20th, a couple of days after the the NBA draft. So teams that went deep into the playoffs, like the Lakers, the Boston, Denver, Miami, they're probably not going to be very pleased that they want to start in December 22nd when they just you know made deep playoff runs into the finals, which is understandable. So I think that something like this could actually benefit our me and match team, the Nets, KD and Kyrie, who did suffer some injuries, and maybe it would be most beneficial if they could get as much rest as they can. Because I think if KD and Kyrie they start playing in February, that would be great, and I think that the Nets would really be benefited greatly by that. So I'm curious to see what you guys think about it. Yeah, it definitely seems like December 22nd is pretty soon. That's that's in like two months now this season ended like two weeks ago so it would really only be like a 10 week off season which is shortened by about like four or five weeks from what it is usually granted they did have four months off during the quarantine in between from when the regular regular season was canceled to when the bubble season restarted so they definitely have more rest per what they would normally have in a, in a calendar year this year. But like you said, Ethan, it's definitely going to benefit guys who have been out for a while, specifically like Kyrie and Kevin Durant. They're definitely rearing to, to go. They have the competitive spirit. They want to they wanna get after it. I'd say the main teams that this would hurt are the four teams that made the conference finals and further specifically the Lakers, Nuggets, the Heat, and the Celtics. They, you know, they only have, you know, six, seven, eight weeks or so. It's not really, it's not really enough time. It's especially because the training camp is going to start on December 1st. That's, that's really, really soon. It doesn't really make sense why they wouldn't want to push it back at least. Like it, it makes sense both ways. It makes sense that they want to have more games, more more broadcasting revenue. However, they they make their money. But just in terms of the players and the NBA is such a player centric organization, it makes sense to just keep making the players happy, keep making the actual products of the organization, the the players, the the things that make the organization money, keeping them happy. And I don't really think it would be that big of a deal for the NBA to be pushed back a month past December 22nd. Obviously, as you know, I'm an NBA fan, and you guys are, and all of our listeners are, they, they definitely want to see basketball sooner than later. But I think it makes sense in terms of the quality that we would see that it gets pushed back a little bit more. Danny Green was on a like a like a different podcast or, or something and he was saying that LeBron is probably going to sit out for the first month of the of the season. So that's not something that anyone would want to see and if LeBron is doing it you're make a a good bet that a lot of other players will be doing the same thing to continue to rest up and especially at the beginning part of the regular season the games don't really matter as much as they do later in the season and the playoffs if LeBron is going to to do it or if they're 
are thoughts that LeBron would do it. There's going to be a lot of guys that will follow his lead as well. So it, it in my opinion, it makes more sense for, for them to push back the season to the start of the season to sometime in January of 2021, whether it's MLK day or after or before sometime in that sometime in the middle of January, I think makes sense from a rest perspective, from a time between training camp and star perspective from free agency and draft. Like it, it's timing wise. That makes more sense. This December 22nd to me, it seems a little rushed. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that it's rushed. I saw Bradley Beal hop on JJ Reddick's podcast recently, and he talked about how they were expecting late February, early March start, and then all of a sudden they get this news that it's going to ramp up at December 1st training camp. And now usually if they were at a point in the offseason where they believe it's two to three months away from the start, most of them wouldn't be like going that hard in workouts and like trying to get in the best shape. But now – they hear the training camps a month away, they have to completely change everything and just really step things up. So that's tough on all the players. I think with the draft, it's scheduled to be November 18th, that you know you only have 12 days in between the draft and the start of training camp. That seems very rushed. I don't think – I think players need a little more time to get acclimated to the, to the organization and stuff like that, not just a two-week period. And then even free agency, like if you start – usually free agency comes after the draft, excuse me. And let's say the draft's the 18th and then free agency would start on maybe the 20th or the 21st. So you have 10 days of just a a frenzy of all these guys trying to get signed. You're probably going to have a lot of the second and third tier guys signing throughout training camp and just getting right to the end where like the season would start and they really wouldn't be acclimated to the offense and would take them time. So I don't love, I mean, I, like you said, I want to see basketball as soon as possible again, just because we didn't really get a ton of time in the bubble outside of the playoffs, like seeing regular season basketball. So that would be nice. But at the same time, I think the players need their rest, especially like you said, those four teams that were in the Eastern Conference Finals. And Martin Luther King Day just sounds a lot more reasonable. Well, there is a reason for why they want to start in December. They don't want to overlap with this, the 2021 Summer Olympics. So, right, so why don't they just shorten the number of games in the regular season instead of having they seventy-two have, play sixty? Because they want to have over seventy, so they can make money from the TV deals. Because that's right, be, right, right, right. But is that a number that's baked into the contract that they signed with? Yeah. like Turner yeah. Sports, like yeah. it's seventy. I don't know. I I think they're they should probably have to they should probably have to negotiate that in the the contract because this this is like a different time. It's it's not like this is this is this is a special situation. No one yeah, it, 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 it's it's an issue because it's a multi billion dollar deal. So it would take a lot of time to get a change like a, a change that big like stipulated into the contract. It would take a lot of lawyers and stuff like that. So I don't know how quickly they could get that all together. That's that's yeah. the only real issue in that situation. Like I agree with you. There should like I think if you started later in the year and just had like a 66 or 60 game season where you can still get those TV deal that's TV deal money and have a normal playoffs and you know get the biggest thing for them I think is also staying away from the NFL because that can that really hurts their ratings a lot of the times like especially early in the year before Christmas when the NFL regular season is going on like they're the ratings king from September through the end of January so I think if they started around Martin Luther King Day, that would really help their ratings overall. And if they finish, let's say, in late June or early July, they're staying away from when the NFL starts to ramp up their season again in training camps in like early August. Yeah, well, 
the reason why the NBA is so stringent on getting this money is because they lost $8.3 billion this past season. Their NBA revenue dropped 10%. So they were able to make $1.5 billion back from the bubble, but $7.8 billion loss overall, or $6.8 billion loss overall, is a lot of money. And the NBA does not want to lose that type of money again. So I understand why they're trying to fit into as many games as they can because they were trying to make money because they lost a lot. So it makes a lot of sense. And so I agree. And something that's really interests me is how they're going to handle fans in the arenas for next season. It seems like they're like the original idea was we only want to start the season once we can have fans inside. But now it's now they look like they want to just, okay, we want to get those TV deals in. Let's start the season as soon as we possibly can. And when the fans can come, the fans can come. So you're probably going to see the first month to two months of the season with playing with teams playing in their home arenas, but they're going to be playing without fans and having those similar 2K sounds like pumped in, like the arena arena noise pumped in. And uh, that would be, it obviously would stink to see like teams playing in their home arena without fans, but we saw it in baseball this year. We've seen it in the NFL. So it's not really something that we're not used to at this point, but I think something that I saw from Kevin O'Connor of the ringer is that the league also intends to reduce travel by 25% with the teams playing like an MLB style series where if let's say the Nuggets go to LA to play, they're not just going to play the Lakers and then go back home. They're going to play the Lakers, the Clippers, and maybe like another California team with the Warriors or the Kings just to knock out all those three or four teams in one spot. So they don't have to travel as much the next time around and they can stay home more often. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I think that it would be wise if the NBA did that because if they do that, it would obviously put some people at risk of getting COVID again, but it would make a lot of sense if they did that so they can minimize the amount of contact they would have with people. So if they just go to California and knock out all those games there, go to Texas, knock out all the games against the Mavericks, the Rockets and the Spurs, stuff like that, go to New York, play the Nets and the Knicks. Yeah, it's it's going to so be stuff like that. It, it's it going to be stuff like that where like at the Nets, they're probably going to be playing most of their games against teams like the Raptors, the Celtics, the Sixers and the Knicks. They're just gonna they're gonna be playing a lot of division games. Yeah, if you if you come to New York especially, you go to the you definitely gonna go to Boston too. Yeah, you play like the Knicks, the Nets, the Sixers, the Celtics. Celtics. Just get all yeah. those teams out at once, like something like that. And it's smart. It limits travel. Raptors yeah. and Wizards too, maybe. Yeah. So Raptors will probably end up playing in Buffalo also, I I feel like. Yeah, yeah. There were, yeah, there was some talk they were looking at uh, Kentucky as a possible well, option. Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. They were, they were looking about, yeah. yeah, they were looking at Louisville, but then uh, I believe the players said that they didn't want to play in Louisville because of how the police there handled, or their judicial system, how they handled the Breonna Taylor case. And that, that totally makes sense. I think they were also looking at, like, Seattle. Maybe they were looking at some other cities. I, I think just in terms of, like, geography, in terms of like ease, I think it just makes sense to play in Buffalo. Like Buffalo is what, like half an hour, forty-five minutes yeah. away from Toronto. Yeah. So that's what it totally that, that, makes sense to me to just play there. Yeah, but they're completely out of the way from any other team. That's the problem. To think like the with I don't I, I don't know if it's that far on uh, on a plane flight. 
No, with with Major League Baseball, what they did it, with Toronto is that the they just they, 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 right? they yeah they sent yeah the Toronto Blue Jays they, they just sent them to Buffalo, which is like right. 40, 40 minutes away from Toronto, and teams really had yeah. no issue with it. They modified the stadium to fit Major League standards, and there was really it was kind of smooth sailing with from that. Yeah, so now I think it's time we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. So recently, ESPN tweeted. Some Carmelo Anthony stats. And they asked at the end of the tweet, is Melo a first ballot Hall of Famer? Now, we have somebody in this podcast that disagrees with him being a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I think that he is out and is just crazy to even assume that Melo is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. So, Matt, start us off, you piece of shit, and just (laughs) tell us why Melo is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I want to hear this shit. Okay, so I will gladly tell you why Melo, I do not believe, should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I believe that Melo should be a second ballot Hall of Famer. Most importantly, I think that the Hall of Fame has gotten a little easy to get into, where it just seems like if you have scored a handful of points and made a couple of all-star games, you're basically a shoe in a first ballot Hall of Famer. I feel like in order to get into the All-Star game, or, or excuse me, in, in order to get into the Hall of Fame, the first ballot, those guys are the generational talents, right? So this year in 2020, the first ballot Hall of Famers, that list is Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, and Kevin Garnett. So I don't think I'm so crazy to say that those guys are a different tier than Carmelo Anthony. Okay, so I think that like Kobe Bryant is a generational talent, five-time champion. He's 20 years. He was absolutely incredible for every single one. Tim Duncan, uh, two-time MVP, five-time champion, I, I believe. Uh, Kevin Garnett, like 15-time All-Star, NBA champion, MVP, Depoy at, at least at least like once or twice. Those those are different guys just on a tier than Carmelo Anthony was, and. I'm not saying that Carmelo Anthony should not be in the Hall of Fame. He absolutely, he absolutely should be. And realistically, with the like guys that are getting into the Hall of Fame off the first ballot, like T Mac, for example, Carmelo Anthony was better than T Mac, and he had a better NBA career, collegiate career. And if T Mac is a first ballot Hall of Famer, then obviously Melo should be too. But I have a problem that. Also, T-Mac was a first-ballot Hall of Famer. I think that he should have been a second-ballot Hall of Famer, and I think it would be more appropriate to put Melo as a second-ballot Hall of Famer. Okay, so I think that Reggie Miller, the fact that he was a second-ballot Hall of Famer, I think that's fair. I think that makes sense. In terms of how important he was for the NBA and how good he was in the NBA, I think he fits right there in that, in that second-ballot Hall of Famer status. Right. If you're separating guys into like tiers, you have like the the top top tier guys is you have like MJ, you have LeBron, you have Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Carmelo Anthony just isn't at that level. He simply is not at that level. He had two years of playoff success for the first five years in Denver. The last five or rather the first five years in Denver, he was bounced out of the first round every single time. He had one year where he made it out of the uh, first round, made it to the conference finals uh, with Denver in 2009. 
then three more years getting bounced in the first round, then another good year in New York in 2013, and since then it just hasn't been so great for him. So he is absolutely a fantastic talent, and I just want to make the distinction that he is a great, great player. No one is taking that away from him. He should be in the Hall of Fame, and currently with the way it's going, with the way the NBA gives these Hall of Famers, he should be on the first ballot. He should be the way it's going. But I think that in general, in there needs to be that distinction between the first ballot guys and the second ballot guys. You you can go ahead, uh, Ethan. I know you're itching that to get a thought in here. was the biggest cap soliloquy I've ever heard in my life. So then, so then tell me why. Because... I'm, I'm, you know what, actually, Ethan, let me ask you a very simple question. Very, very simple question. Do you think that Melo is on the same tier as Kobe? And and you are the biggest Kobe fan that I know, by the way. Do you think that Melo is on the same tier as Kobe? No, but that doesn't mean he's okay. going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. That doesn't mean he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Okay, first of all, this is where you're making, this is where you're fucking up. It is not the NBA Hall of Fame. It is the Basketball Hall of Fame. You have to take his collegi- collegiate career into consideration where he... Flat out invented the one and done. He started it. He started it when he had his year in Syracuse. He pretty much became a college icon for one year and started a trend that still continues to this day. One. Number two, his Olympic success. He I, is I wouldn't really the call only it a player, good legacy, but... Okay. He is the only player to have three Olympic gold medals. No other player has that in NBA history. So just on that alone, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Then, yes, did he underachieve in his NBA career? Without question, he did. But if you look at his accomplishments, 10-time All-Star, 6-time All-NBA, led the league in scoring, was finished top three in MVP voting one year, he finished top six another year. You cannot deny that he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is top 15 in all-time points scored. Will probably has a possibility of ending up in the top 10 when his career is all said and done. Stop the cap. Carmelo Anthony is the first ballot Hall of Famer. I understand what you're saying. Is he on the same tier as Kobe Bryant? No. But he's still up there. Kobe Bryant is an all-world generational talent. And he's a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Obviously. But that does not mean that Carmelo Anthony is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Reggie Miller, and I love Reggie Miller. He was a great player, but he's not on the level of Carmelo Anthony. He was not as good as Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony sustained a period of excellence and and better individual achievement, better than Reggie Miller ever dreamed of having. And Reggie Miller is in the Hall of Fame because he was a great playoff performer, not because necessarily he was great in the regular season. But if you look at Carmelo Anthony's career, he was great. For an extended period of time, you cannot deny that for the vast majority of years of his career, he was a top five player in the NBA. That alone puts you as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Jordan, the floor is yours. All right, so me as the Knicks fan, someone who watched Carmelo Anthony very closely for and b- a long By the way, by the way, Matt, I hate the Knicks just as much as you do. But I'm not going to go that far, okay? You cannot deny what Melo has done, okay? Jordan, go ahead. I'm sorry. Ethan, I- Ethan, you loved. I remember sometimes going to Nick games with you when Melo was there. You loved watching him play. So I love Melo. I, I mean, listen. He's if you look at his him at his peak, you can argue that his peak was from 2005 to 2014. 
It was a 633-game stretch. He averaged 26 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, on 35% shooting from 3, 47% from the field. Like, he was, like you said, he was a top three small forward in the league. It was, for a while, it was LeBron, KD, and Melo. And, like, before, even before KD came into the league, like, it was LeBron and Melo for, like, a long time. And those, they were terrific. Like you said, Ethan, he led the league in scoring in 2014. He was a six-time All-NBA guy. He finished in MVP voting right at the top. He probably should have won Rookie rookie of the Year in 2003-2004. LeBron was amazing that year, but Melo won Rookie Mello, of the Year every single Mello, month. Melo was better. Melo was better that Mello, year. Melo was better in his rookie year. Yeah, and the Nuggets made the playoffs every single year and, of, like when he was in Denver. Obviously, like a lot of those were first-round exits, like Matt said. But in of itself, just like him being such a young player and then making the playoffs every single year was super impressive. And I think a lot of it, people's like hate towards Melo had to do with the way he exited his Knicks career and what specifically what Houston did to him. I think Houston just completely disrespected him. The way they tried to use him as like a spot-up three-point shooter, that clearly isn't his game. Like, And he was like towards like he only played 10 games with Houston and like for a couple games he was actually looked pretty good but then they cut him and you didn't hear about Melo for like months and people were dying for him to sign somewhere and then in Portland you saw he's like a very useful player for them he was their third best player during the year on a, on a playoff team that probably should have finished a lot higher than an eight seed like but due, to, but due to the bubble and like due to some injuries Portland didn't reach their full potential so Melo's still even at 35 years old like a really good player he's a really useful player and I just I, I, I don't think Reggie Miller's as good as him. I really I really don't. Reggie Miller was a Reggie Miller was a really good shooter. Like he, he really brought up three point shooting numbers across the league with the way he just he was like he shot what did he shoot? Like 43 percent for like a good ten year stretch. Like he was he was he was an excellent shooter. And like you like you guys talked about, he had lots of playoff success. But when you talk about the basketball hall of fame, you have to mention the Olympic gold medals. You have to mention the legendary run he had at Syracuse. And you have to mention like all the success, the individual success he's had as a player. Fine. I will. Okay. So I will definitely concede that the collegiate career that he had winning that NCAA title with Syracuse and his international run, that definitely helps him. But I'm not, I'm not done with my, with my argument here. Uh, have you guys heard of Dominique Wilkins? I'm sure you guys have, right? Dominique Wilkins in his run in Atlanta, a similar stretch of individual statistical dominance. Starting in 1985, he was averaging 27 and 7, 30 and 8, 29 and 6, 31 and 6, 26 and 7, 27 and 7, 26 and 9, 28 and 7, 30 and 7, and for two more years he was he was putting up those numbers. So that's so that's I I can't count that that's like about 11 years, 11 years where he was averaging probably around 27, 28 points a game, seven or seven and a half rebounds. Okay. In the playoffs, he made the playoffs at least a few times that I'm looking at it. Four, five. Okay, so he made the the playoffs about six times in that stretch. Okay, went past the first rounds. It looks like three times. So one more than Mello. Okay, so this is a guy who I think is a is a very good comparison to Carmelo Anthony in terms of just pretty much everything. Right, very very talented score on a slightly underachieving team, didn't really have a whole lot of playoff success, but nonetheless was a fantastic, fantastic player for a better than like 10, 11, 12 years. So now here's the question to you guys. 
Do you guys think he was a first ballot Hall of Famer or a second ballot Hall of Famer? Well, I know you're making this argument he, because he was he was, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I know he didn't get in. He got in on the second ballot. That's just more. He was a second that, ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah but that's that's, that's what's about, called. Here's the thing. It's well, a here's, here's the thing. Dominique. That's well, not well, about Melo. No, no, no. Yeah, Jordan, let, let me get this. Let me get this. World is that is called precedent. No, 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 no. And thus should be treated the same way. If Dominique Wilkins should was a second ballot Hall of Famer, then damn right Melo should be too because he's not they a second ballot very, Hall of Famer. That was very similar stats. But Matt, two wrongs don't make a right. Dominique 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 Wilkins team action not the first ballot Hall of Famer as Dominique, well. Dominique Wilkins when he was playing in the NBA was a top five player for the majority of his career. The number one player you think of when you think of the Atlanta Hawks is Dominique Wilkins. It is Correct. a tra- it is a travesty that he was not selected as a, fir- a first ballot Hall of Famer, and it would be a travesty if Melo was not selected as a ha- first ballot Hall of Famer. No, it would be appropriate, and that's the way no. that Hall of no. Fame should be operated. No. Because no. Team Act should not have been a first no. ballot Hall of Famer. That's ridiculous. He should have been a second ballot Hall of Famer. Based on individual, based on individual talent, I would argue that Team Act is a first ballot Hall of Famer, especially. In his in his years in Orlando, in his years in Orlando, I definitely I agree with that. I challenge you to find look at their career. You have to look at their career, the achievements of their career. And T Mac did not achieve in his career what qualifies as a first ballot Hall of Famer. The way that Kobe, Tim Duncan, KG has, LeBron will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. MJ was a like those were guys with career achievements that deserve first ballot Hall of Famer. T Mac. Did not, should not have been there. Dominique did not, so he should not have been there and appropriately got the got a second ballot Hall of Fame nomination, and I think it would be much more appropriate if Melo would be too. No. I challenge you to find 10 players better than T-Mac in NBA history when he was playing for those couple of years for the Orlando Magic. He was a beast. Did they underperform in the playoffs? Yes. But right there in a vacuum, T-Mac on the Magic for those years was one of the best players the NBA had ever seen. That is why he Dude, is... Just because a first- player scores a lot of points doesn't mean that they're, like, all-time NBA. Yo, you guys know that Jerry Stackhouse one year averaged 30 points a game? Yeah. Is he an all-time NBA great just because you're putting up 30-plus points a game? T-Mac, at his peak, I think averaged 32. In like 2001, 2002, something like yeah. that. Yeah, but Tracy McGrady was a transcendent talent. Jerry Stackhouse was not. So he was a transcendent talent. No one is disputing that. Yeah, yeah. Jordan, go. go I, for it. I think T Mac was a very borderline first ballot guy. Like you know, borderline, he was borderline. Borderline because no, it's not me disrespecting. Not even borderline. Like like really, he had like no argument to be a first ballot Hall of this is not me disrespecting T-Mac. I like Ethan. I totally agree with you that he was a transcendent talent. The biggest problem with T-Mac was is that he fell off really quickly he because of those injured. knee issues that he had in Houston, and he just didn't have the longevity to have the required stats and like he's total still, numbers. He's still made, he was a seven seven times All NBA, and he led the league in scoring twice. No, I could, like listen at his. Peak, That's a Hall of Famer. That doesn't. Yes, that That's means a Hall, Hall of Famer. Famer. That doesn't yes. mean first ballot. See, my whole point with this. Okay, guys, listen. 
My whole point with this is that I think that first ballot and second ballot should actually mean something. It should mean something with regards to the the quality of their career, the quality of the talent, the tier of the player. But Matt, I think that there is that there is a place for first ballot versus second ballot Hall of Famer. That it that it isn't just like Hall of Famer. That there is a little extra something to differentiate the guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Matt, but what you're not understanding is Trace McGrady was is this was a transcendent talent, and he for a stretch played great in the NBA. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. But just because, I, but I'm but not disagree with that. But but can continue. Go for it. But listen, Kevin Love probably going to make the Hall of Fame. He's not going to be a first ballot. No, he's not. No, he's not going to be. He's not going to be. Kevin, like Kevin Love. Well, no, I'm. I'm saying that Kevin Love is not going to be a Hall of Famer, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Blake Griffin is probably not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer either. But if you look at, at compare oh, Tracy McGrady's Hall of Fame, oh my God. That, that shit would be fucking... They're handing that shit out like fucking candy. I mean, Bro. they do. They basically do. The qualifications for making the NBA Hall of Fame is a joke. That, 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 that's the biggest problem here. Like I have a problem with that. That's the thing. No, I th- and I, I agree with you in that sense. Like, there definitely has to be higher standards. Like, if you look at the Baseball Hall of Fame, it takes some guys, like, six, yeah. seven times on the ballot for them to get in. But, but those guys is, who have, like, legendary like, stretches. But this is what I'm saying, though. This is what I'm saying, though. Even if you're going... Even if you're going by the baseball standards, Carmelo Anthony is still a first ballot Hall of Famer. That is what I'm no, saying. No, no, no. If you go by, just trust me, bro. Like I, I think I follow baseball more than both you guys. Like Carmelo Anthony, for comparing relative to baseball, he would be like a third or fourth ballot Hall of Famer. Just no, because I, that, that, that's more about how difficult it is to get in in baseball. No, but but that's just for the MLB. That basketball encapsulates your whole NBA career, your whole basketball career. So Melo is a first ballot Hall of Famer. If you're going by the rules. That exists right now for the Basketball Hall of Fame. Melo, without question, is the first Battle Hall of Famer. And it's, it's simple. Maybe if it was baseball strict or foot NFL strict, maybe he wouldn't be. I, I still think he would be. Because even though you don't necessarily have the career accomplishments, it still matters about your numbers. The NFL, for a lot of players to get into the Hall of Fame, is all about numbers. So... If you look at Mel's numbers, that alone puts him in the Hall of Fame. Did he underachieve in his NBA career? Yes, he did. He definitely did. There's no disputing that. He had an underwhelming NBA career. But it was still better than 99% of NBA players that play in the NBA. And it's still a pretty damn good career if you're even comparing him to other Hall of Famers in the NBA right now. So, Ethan, if you're saying that... You concede that he underachieved in his NBA career. Why don't we acknowledge that? Why don't well, we acknowledge he's, he's, he's talking about underachieving world, in terms of playoff success? In terms of playoff, in the Hall in terms, of Fame, but in terms not of just first success. ballot, but second. No, no, even, even in his regular season, what, what do you mean just playoffs? His regular season also, he underachieved his teams. Like he had, he had two years where they won like more than like 52 games. Are you talking about the Knicks or are we talking about the Nuggets? His his whole career. Listen, I the thing with in his prime with the Knicks, the bigger issue there I'll, was I'll, is I'll, like I'll get you the wins each year. First year they won forty three games, second year forty nine, third year forty four, forty five wins next year, fifty wins the next year. 
Okay. And then this is this is hold hold on. This is the year they made the conference finals in Denver. They won fifty four. Year after that, fifty three. They got bounced in the first round by the Jazz. Okay, so so three or four years it looks like they won fifty games, but it was never more than fifty four. They were they were a pretty good team. They were, but he never brought them to a great. I think a first ballot Hall of Famer, a first ballot Hall of Famer brings their team to greatness. Okay, next year after that was. They won 38 games. That was the lockout season. So I guess the percentage, yeah, the, the percentage would have been closer to like 47 wins. Then his first year in his first year in New York or the 2013 season in New York, they won a bunch of games that they won like what, 54 games, 50 something games. So that, that yeah, was a good 2012, year. 2012, 2013. Yeah. But that, so, that, that, that was a veteran heavy team. Yeah, it was a veteran heavy team. And a lot of that could be placed on guys like Jason Kidd that were really helping. Uh, Raymond Felton had a had a good start. All right, to, but also Mel, so. Mel finished third yeah, in, yeah, in MVP yeah, voting yeah, that year. No, 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 one's no one's discounting that. Like second ballot Hall of Famers, they have those great seasons. Like that's that's totally like allowed. Um, I I just I just look at like Dominique Wilkins, and I think that is a very very appropriate comparison. In terms I, I just I think I think it's disrespectful to Dominique to have him as a second ballot. I thought I thought he was a huge snub. He's probably one of the biggest snubs of all time. Dominique is easily a first, a first ballot. ballot Hall of Famer. Easily, easily. He That's was a top. Issue. He was a top three to top five player his nearly his entire NBA career. How uh, are the, problem, the problem is the Hawks were, were like irrelevant for a lot of the time, and that's the same issue that I had with the Knicks. The Knicks were a couple of years they were pretty good, but they were mostly irrelevant. Same with the Nuggets; they had a lot of playoff appearances, but it was mostly first round exits. So that right. was the biggest issue for a lot of guys. Right. So, right. So if Dominique Wilkins is in the same kind of tier as Carmelo Anthony in terms of his stats, in terms of his playoff appearances, in terms of his success in the playoffs, his success in the regular season. And he goes in as a second ballot Hall of Famer. Why don't no. we, why don't we look at Melo the same way? Well, first this, of all, this isn't this is not a dig on Melo. See, what I think is it's too easy to make it to the Hall of Fame. The fact that you guys think, oh, second ballot Hall of Fame, oh, that's that's disrespect. No, there's still a Hall of Fame. It's it's still there's still a Hall of Famer. They're still one of the best human I... beings to play this beautiful sport. Okay, and that's something that we need to acknowledge, and that's something that a Hall of Fame nomination does acknowledge. But what I think would be really, really interesting, really cool for the, you know, for the the NBA, like whoever manages the Hall of Fame, whatever, is having that first ballot, second ballot. It it differentiates the Hall of Famers that get in there because Michael Jordan, he he shouldn't even be anywhere sniffing second ballot Hall of Famer. He is like. Completely, completely first ballot Hall of Famer. LeBron, completely, completely first ballot Hall of Famer. Magic, Larry Bird, all those guys. Kobe, Tim Duncan, all those guys. And to me, Dominique Wilkins, Carmelo Anthony, and really like T-Mac, they are not in that ilk. They are not there. And that, to me, needs to be acknowledged through a slightly different Hall of Fame nomination. Still Hall of Famers, still all-time basketball greats. But I mean, should be acknowledged as such that they are they they were never quite, or or rather, rather it, it isn't a slight against them. It's a compliment to how good the Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, LeBron guys were. That they were just a different breed of basketball player. That those are the guys that oh they're Hall of Famers. Snap of a finger, you guys got to get in. The other guys we got to at least talk about their career. The initial guys the. Instant first ballot Hall of Famers, we don't even need to discuss nothing. 
they are absolutely in there. See, to me, the fact that we're even having this conversation, and I know that I'm I'm not the only person that has this feeling. Like I was I was looking in the, the comments, there were at least like a handful of, of other guys that were saying, nah, second ballot. The fact that we're even having this conversation to me says that he should not be that instant first ballot Hall of Fame guy. I mean, just this is just one statistic, but I think it's it's really important when you are evaluating a Hall of Famer. Just Melo's 15th all-time in score right now, and he's probably got at least another, what, two, three years maybe in the league if he can keep up his conditioning and stuff like that. He's 15th. He's 50 points away from passing Duncan. He's 200 points from passing Dominique for 13th. He's 300 from passing Oscar Robinson. He's probably going to finish his career a top 10 all-time scorer. And I think that, like, that is just in and of itself extremely impressive and puts him at that like even if you want to call it borderline, I wouldn't let's, call it borderline. Let's, but let's see if he makes it there. But yeah, sure, maybe. Like I, I, I just, I just think there's like, and like we talked about, it, it's like Ethan emphasized it, and I want to reemphasize it too. It's not just the NBA, like playoff success. It's about individual success, and like he was a very successful player. And when we talk about Syracuse, like how legendary his run was, and we talk about the Olympics, like no one ever had three Olympic gold medals and what he was able to accomplish as an Olymp- as an Olympian, like. He was he was really good on those Olympic teams. He was like probably like a, one of their best for those first two rings. He was probably first two gold medals. Excuse me. He was probably like in their top three or four best players on those teams. Like he was dominating. He was putting up like 30, 30 32 points a game. Right. I think that I, I mean I mean yeah. Look like LeBron definitely would have gotten that third one as well if he played in twenty sixteen. Right. Like a lot of guys would have gotten their third one as well. But. Look, you you can't discount that he had a lot of Olympic success, a lot of collegiate uh, success, but realistically, the NBA career is most important. Those are like those are like extra stuff, but you you really look at the NBA career, and I think that he has a much more comparable career trajectory to Dominique, which is not a slight on either one of them. They're still Hall of Fame status NBA players but since but you know Dominique was a second ballot guy it would make sense to me that Melo would be too thank you guys for listening to the Getting Buckets podcast subscribe to us on Spotify follow us on Apple follow us on Twitter and we'll see you guys next time peace peace